Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals, brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. In this episode, Houston Business Journal Managing Editor Jonathan Adams welcomes Sonova Chairman, President, and CEO John Berger for a revealing and candid conversation about renewable energy and how it's reshaping the energy capital of the world. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born in Texas. I was actually born in Houston. And then uh, uh, in uh, early age, moved to uh, Bryan, uh, as in Bryan College Station. Grew up in the construction business because my dad was in it and got a civil engineering degree from A&M. And then moved to Houston right away and got a job in the uh, power business. Thought I was going into oil and gas, but I got put into the power division at Enron and then ran a utility from the control room for them, did a lot of uh, the power trading, did a little venture cap, uh, and then uh, went off to business school. And in time, business school worked for the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and then came back to Houston and worked in venture cap and then started uh, forming companies. Uh, so switched sides and became the entrepreneur. Did uh, my first solar business was a solar contractor. We did installations for residential, commercial, government. And then I formed another company. It was like Sonova uh, around 2010. And it was a residential solar uh, service provider. So we would uh, operate through dealers, uh, contractors uh, that would originate and, and install. And uh, then we'd sell the, the solar energy and we'd you know, provide all the service and the financing and everything else. Again, what Sonova does. And that, I sold that business to another very large power company. And then I started Sonova in uh, late uh, 2012. And so it's been uh, building the business here ever since. And now we're, it's getting a lot more about batteries and grid services and microgrids and new technologies like fuel cells and everything else, you know, coming together to basically form a nanogrid in everybody's home or, you know, provide wireless power is one another way to think about it. So why did you decide to found Sonova in Houston and a city, you know, where oil and gas has kind of been like the thing for so many years. Yeah, I, you know, Houston's always been seen as the energy capital world. And, and indeed, including to this day, I often catch people and saying, well, you know, I'm in the energy business. And I'm like, well, I'm in the energy business, um, but I think we do different things. I think you're in the oil and gas portion of the energy business. So, oh, yeah, 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 that's what I meant. But, you know, so the point is, is that oil and gas has been synonymous with energy. And I guess maybe part of that is you can put into like utilities been synonymous with energy. And indeed today, uh, and what we see in this transition, that's just not the case. It's, uh, it, you know, it ta- it's, it's a lot of different areas. And, and indeed, what we're doing is as solar and, and, and storage is growing very, very fast. Right. So Houston is the oil and gas capital of the world. And now we want that as the transition that takes place to be the energy capital world and truly be representative of all the energy forms that uh, and, and have the companies here and the, and the job creation here. And, and why Houston is because we have those capabilities in the workforce in terms of folks that know energy. Uh, there is, uh, you know, the port is very important and provides a, a lot of uh, ability to grow companies here. Uh, it's a very, di- the most diverse city in 
diversity has been directly attributable to Sonova's uh, success. I can attest to that. And it's a low cost area, which is, you know, so a lot of the same reasons that uh, we grew up as being the oil and gas capital of the world as a city, uh, those same uh, attributes coupled with, you know, one of the things that I feel pretty strongly about because I'm one of them is the entrepreneurial spirit is, is unmatched uh, in Houston. Uh, all those attributes uh, not only made us successful in oil and gas, but I'm confident will make us successful in solar and storage. So what challenges did you face, you know, trying to build this thing up? Well, there's all kinds of challenges. I mean, you got to get the right people right at the right time. And as the company's changes from being founded in a, in a downtown Houston apartment, and in fact, our first, you know, um, meeting as a company was at uh, Buffalo Grill on, on Piston Hat. So, you know, going that to a multi-billion dollar enterprise value company that's publicly traded in New York Stock Exchange, stock prices up over 300% since IPO and things, that's a massive change. And so, you know, as you're moving forward in time, you've got people that are really good at the startups and you've got people that are really good at the multi-billion dollar company level. And and so we've had, you know, as we move forward in time, uh, you know, we had uh, to hire those right people at the right time and, and then hire a lot more people. Like we're hiring a ton of people right now. So that's the first in, uh, challenge. And it's, it's always, uh, you know, about the people, in my opinion. Uh, the second is, is that you got to raise all this capital, right? And it's different types of capital. So that's always been something is where you're constantly out there looking for debt and equity and what they call tax equity to, to fund the credits and all that other stuff. So that's another uh, complexity. And then navigating and explaining the vision of where you thought the energy industry was going to go and navigating that. Obviously, some other people, including to this day, have very, very strong opinions uh, that differ with where you know we're we, you know we see the industry going and, and the world going, and so you got to navigate those and and try to, I think uh, you know be a part of the community and be a part of uh, uh, getting people to to see that your vision is is what's happening without becoming uh, you know, somebody that uh, folks don't really necessarily want to talk with all the time, right? So those are the challenges, particularly in in uh, in. And I'd call it the Texas area that you've got, we've had to navigate over uh, the last few years. Right. And how have you navigated those challenges? Well, I think uh, first and foremost is you definitely have got to, uh, you got to laugh at yourself, right? Uh, (laughs) You've got to have a sense of humor. You've got to have some diplomacy. You got to realize that when you're making a transition like this, um, some people feel, and I, and I reject this, by the way, that there are, there are some winners and losers. I think we can all be winners. And, you know, I always say that uh, change brings opportunity with it. And I know Houston will, is seeing it that way. But they can, change can also be very scary. And most people don't like change, right? No matter what it is, no matter how small. And so a lot of that is just, I think, having an understanding of that natural human emotion and and be respectful of it. At the same time, you know, trying to make folks, you know, say, hey, we need to change. And now now's the time. That's how we've navigated uh, the change dynamic, if you will, and the emotional aspect of that. The other is that we just constantly are looking for the best talent out there. And we certainly find a lot here, uh, but that's a never ending story, never will end. And, and that's the, the other big, uh, if you get the right people doing the right things, you, you're going to do well. So in the Houston area, I guess, primarily, in what ways are you seeing, you know, the perception of renewable energy changing? It's changed tremendously. I would say that as little as two years ago, batteries, you know, this answers the question of what, what are you going to do when the you know, sun doesn't shine, the wind don't blow, right? And 
And even two years ago, I think a lot of people that respected really derided the idea that batteries would become competitive. And uh, that that's, you know, like I said, two years ago, I means rapidly changed. They were looking for a big breakthrough, et cetera, in technology. So I think uh, that's, that's definitely something that, um, you know, that is, as mentality has changed. I would also say that solar has been about the same price in terms of panels come down a little bit, increased in efficiency and so forth over the last two, three years. But over the last decade, that certainly has been the story where a lot of people didn't view it as realistic at all that solar would come down in price. And we've now dropped you know, over 95% in price over the last 12 years. So that's changed a lot of things. And then that gets into the, the heart of, you know, most people think it's for the wealthy or it's too expensive. All these things are uh, been nullified by the actual, you know, whatever you want to call it, invisible hand of the market as we scale things up globally. But those prices for solar panels and inverters and um, now batteries and, and many other technologies are coming have dropped rapidly in price and increased rapidly in capability. And most people did not see that coming. I actually was listening to another podcast uh, not too long ago that was saying that like the price of renewable energy is becoming a little bit more uh, bearable than the price of oil and gas. Is that something that you might be seeing as well? Absolutely. You haven't seen anything yet. I mean, we're, we're going to experience the amount of capital flows in the last 12 months into my industry is mind blowing and they continue. Some maybe not uh, directed in the right places. There's you know some irrational exuberance in some areas of the industry, but um, nonetheless, there's a lot of money. I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars that are moving in and uh, that'll cause us to scale up faster and improve technology faster, right? Because you have more capital. And so the, the changes that uh, I predict that you're gonna see over the next one to, to three years are gonna be staggering because of that. And, you know, as we scale up uh, and more and more people are not the first one on their block to become a Sonova customer, that you are maybe the third, fourth, fifth, eighth, 10th person, that becomes by definition easier as well. So it's a, everything's an S-curve, right? In technology, we're just all trying to guess about what the slope of that S-curve is. But I can tell you, we're, we're fast approaching, you know, coming off the bottom of that S and hitting the middle part of the curve where adoption will be widespread. And a big part of the reason for that widespread adoption is, is that the costs um, are going to fall tremendously further and uh, the technology capabilities, things such as maybe fuel cells become something that is viable. You know, we're working on that, but there's all sorts of, of technologies on software and hardware for load control. You know, is it, it'll become standard to have an EV charger in your home and electric vehicles. All this is happening. And I think, uh, you know, one thing I would say is I think people are underestimating how fast this is all going to happen. Wow. So what would you say are some common misconceptions about renewable energy? Well, I think it goes back to what I was saying is, is that, you know, it's, um, oh, you're always going to need the conventional energy, you know, that just many people say that without having facts to back it up. And, and really, that's too expensive. It's only for the wealthy, therefore, and, and that's just not the case, and, and increasingly so. I think I think really that the biggest problem that people face is they take the current price of the technology, say solar panels, and the current capability, and they basically give no credence to any improvement on that and extrapolate that forward. 
And the other big mistake I, I think I see people making is they think that they'll just look in isolation, a solar panel, but they don't look at the smart inverters. They don't look at the batteries. They don't look at the ability to tap software and harbor uh, to manage load. They don't look at the ability to add a generator or a fuel cell. And so all of this comes together is that, you know, it's not just one technology, quote unquote, the solar panel that causes the kind of change that I'm talking about. You know, electric vehicles, another example of another piece of the system, if you will. It's a collection of technologies, hardware and software to, uh, delivered by a service provider like ourselves that makes it easy for people to adopt. That is how you change the game. It's a collection. And so uh, I see people not making an appropriate amount of uh, extrapolation for technology improvement, both price and capability. And I see people making the mistake of, you know, saying it's just one technology. It's kind of a silver bullet approach when it's a it's a collection of technologies that's going to change the world. So how do you think the Biden administration will kind of affect this view and, and your business? Well, I think it's going to be positive. I mean, you know, I. I think that most people would say, well, no kidding. Um, but I think that the idea that there is a a lot that, that the federal government can do, I think is a bit, um, you know, a, a bit of an overreach. Uh, you can have some policies you put in place, like a tax credit to go up against some of the other subsidies that exist in oil and gas and you know, centralized power is completely regulated, right? And, and there's government entities, even those that are listed in New York Stock Exchange. And, and then you've got, you know, special treatment and, and taxes for coal and some other things. And so all of it together, you know, people kind of look at the investment tax credit, but there's also some offsets for that in, in the so-called competing technology. I think the biggest, most important is, I think we're all learning this in, in some ways the hard way, is that the tone at the top matters, you know, when I go into the board and talk about what, what's going on with the company or we have, you know, facing uh, other issues, including, you know, how do you handle challenges within the company? Everything comes back to, well, you need to set the tone at the top, right? So, you know, if, if diversity is important, that I need to set the, the tone at the top, which we have. If uh, adherence to laws and ethics is important, then I set the tone at the top. What we forget about is, is that when somebody's running the country, that that matters just the same, if not more so. And so I think it's pretty clear that, um, you know, the previous tone at the top was, um, you know, antagonistic to what we did, but uh, now it's more, is the most positive. And we thrived in the previous of the last four years, thrived. I mean, we went public uh, before in 2019. So the challenge that we face is that how do you implement these changes within the existing regulatory system but that's going to be mostly handled by the respective states with the public utility commissions and possibly congress so i think that uh, the tone at the top which is extremely positive is the best thing we can get out of a biden administration sonoba's john berger joining houston business journal managing editor jonathan adams in our next segment, Berger expands on how the tone at the top is changing things close to home. When Texas Business Minds continues. I'm Rich Gregasco, President and CEO of Texas Mutual Insurance Company. To everyone who has been hard at work providing the things we need during this crisis, we say thank you. You truly are essential and we're proud to be on the job with you. More at TexasMutual.com slash on the job. 
Continuing our conversation on Texas Business Minds as Sonova Chairman, President, and CEO John Berger talks with Houston Business Journal Managing Editor Jonathan Adams. In what ways do you think that might impact Houston as a whole in terms of it being the energy capital of the world? I think it's causing, I can, I can tell you real time, it's causing some of the leaders that um, you know have strong businesses in oil and gas and other places to pay attention and to make uh, deliberate changes. And it's one thing to talk, sit around, have drinks and talk about the changes that could be coming and debate them. And it's quite another to be on Monday morning, actually executing, deploying capital, making changes to your business uh, to, uh, to basically reflect what you see as the transition and that's happening. So real action versus talk. I'm seeing a lot of that uh, across Houston. So oil and gas is sort of hurting at the moment, thanks to COVID. How do you think this will impact the renewable energy sector? Well, I think the oil and gas business, I mean, it, it's a fool's game to predict when the last barrel of oil will be used, right? I have no idea. And I'm not going to pretend I know. And I can tell you this, that's not the right question to ask and answer. You want to be in a business that's growing and as a, as a city, as a region, we want to hold on to those jobs as, as long as we can in the industry. And that may be decades, that may be measured in years. I, I honestly, I don't know. But the point is, is that we want to hold on to those jobs as much as we can, but we want to grab the jobs that are growing, the companies that are growing, the industry, part of the energy industry that's growing. And that's my part of the industry, clearly. And so I think that what we need to do is, you know, be respectful of our history and the, and the strong role we play in oil and gas and still be supportive of oil and gas, but at the same time, embrace the future, embrace the change, embrace uh, the, the job creation, the wealth creation that comes with embracing a change. Not unlike what we did with fracking, it came about a few years ago. We were leaders in that. It was a technological revolution, right? It was just within the oil and gas, this is obviously a much bigger change, but uh, we can do both. We can do both. And, and um, I'm quite confident that that's exactly what's going to happen in Houston. Do you think it's going to be like oil and gas and renewable energy are kind of destined to like work together? Well, we're all in the energy business, right? So we're all in the same industry. So is it going to work together? Well, in some cases, yes. I think, uh, you know, for instance, I think natural gas has a role to play for a longer period of time. Is it, you know, increasingly going to get displaced by solar and, and wind and storage? Yes. Uh, I think I'm not sure anybody really disagrees with that at this point in time, but we can't, have every home snap our fingers and have solar on it tomorrow. That just is, doesn't work right that way, right? So there has to be a transition. And indeed, in every technological change in every industry, there's a period of years as a transition, whether it's going from landlines to cell phones, right? And so I think in that way, we work together because we need each other because it's happening and we can't have it happen overnight in terms of the change. I think in other ways, of course, it is, it is competitive. You're fighting over essentially the same market share, right? And so by definition, it will be competitive. Just as, by the way, natural gas is is very competitive with coal and vice versa, right? And so there's some areas where they could collaborate and some areas where they were like, well, uh, we're competitors. And so I think I think the same is true uh, with what we're talking about here is solar and storage and uh and, and hydrocarbons. The other piece of this is the competition between centralized power and decentralized power. And so that's another mega trend part of this whole thing, not just decarbonization, but the decentralization 
and the reliability increase that comes with that decentralization of power uh, being delivered to homes and businesses. And so you kind of alluded to it earlier about uh, renewable energy becoming kind of a, it's always been seen as an expensive endeavor. How quickly do you think that might change? Right now, it's a misperception, but it's rapidly dropping as a misperception. I think that, you know, candidly, Houston is one of the last areas, major cities of the country to really start to see a lot of adoption in residential solar and, and storage service. That has a lot to do with the fact that we're on the coast. We don't generate as much sunlight as, say, a, a Dallas or certainly an Austin, San Antonio. Uh, we also have deregulated power here on the generation and customer side. So the, the prices are relatively low as compared to the Northeast and California or even places like Arizona, but certainly places like Hawaii and Puerto Rico. So, you know, there's some real fundamental reasons why we haven't seen as much uh, here, but, um, you know, it's, it is changing and, uh, you know, I think it'll, it'll pick up speed. I know in uh, Georgetown, Texas, that city kind of went 100% renewable a few years ago. I don't remember how many years ago. I think it was four. And I think it was a combined wind and solar effort. And the energy bills residents saw kind of went up, not a whole lot, but a noticeable amount. Do you think that would be the fate of other cities if they went renewable 100% too quickly? No, no. I think if you look at it, you know, a pretty dramatic example of the Germans, they spent a lot of money from the government through subsidies and other you know methods to really essentially buy down the cost of solar for the world. The Chinese then picked it up um, as well. And now it's uh, very, very competitive. Um, the same could be true in a microcosm for some place like Georgetown. Like four years ago in my industry, you might as well be talking about the 1950s. <laughs> eternity. And so, you know, I think we need to applaud those folks and that went before us, but now increasingly it's if we don't get on board this train, the train will leave you. It's, it's no different than if you were the first person to buy a really expensive iPhone that not many people you know, thought they really needed and certainly making fun of you for paying that price. Uh, yeah, you, you know, eventually you had to go trade in and get another phone and somebody else came in and paid that price uh, that was cheaper than even what you paid, right? In terms of price per capability, you know, whatever you want to measure it in. And, uh, and the same is true in our industry. I mean, it's not different this time. And so we've, we applaud the, the initial folks out there, um, but uh, uh, it's here now, it's cheaper. Now it's time to get on board, you're going to get left behind. So what role do you think uh, Houston's renewable energy sector plays when it comes to building up the technology scene? I think it's going to play a critical role. I think that overall, if you took a broad perspective on this, the medical center with the biotechnology and all the technologies that go with medicine, you know, that's an important area of Houston. I think our logistics capabilities, there are some, some pieces of technology that enhances logistics and operations, supply chain management through the port. I think that's obviously important, but not frankly as important as the technologies are to the medical center. The energy business, again, talking about the transition, given that energy business is as a outsized impact on Houston. And uh, I think that it's, it, it's fine to suggest that because the facts do support it, that other jobs through, you know, the medical center and other places, real estate, for instance, uh, can make up for some of the job loss we've had in oil and gas. 
I think the other thing that's very valid when looking at the data is the sheer amount of wealth creation, company creation, formation. It was dominated by the oil and gas industry. And, and now we need to fill that void, if you will, that uh, with, with energy technology driven firms. And so I think without that, I think Houston suffers. I, I don't think that that's a controversial statement, but it is a fact. And so energy technology is going to be critical critical to Houston's future, not just to exist, but to thrive. And are you seeing Houston investors have like kind of a big appetite for technology here? I do. I think that's been a change, you know, candidly, and that's picking up in speed. There was more of a recognition of that the last, you know, call it year, uh, you know, 24 months post-election and and what's gone on with the capital flows in the, in the equity markets globally. It's just more and more of the case of people are understanding that the transition is here. It's not coming and they want to get on board. And so this is, uh, you know, the animal spirit, so to speak, you know, uh, that uh, Houston, I think, leads the country. And as far as cities are taking over and saying, how do I make this uh, transition you know, successful? How do I you know, fund the next big investment uh, that goes very well? How do I you know, found the next company that does very well? So I think all of that's moving in the right direction. How do you stay competitive in like in a market where it sounds like renewable energy companies are kind of starting to blow up here? Well, I mean, you know, it, that's not all bad for us. I mean, it, what you want here is you want an ecosystem. You don't want to be the only one. And I wouldn't say we're the only one, but there certainly are areas in other cities that have more of an ecosystem than what we have currently. Everybody acknowledges that. And now, okay, so that's the bad news. The good news is we know about it and we, we'll go after and change it. And so there's a lot of the leaders, like the GHP is taking a lot of leadership here. They're jumping in and saying, how do we make this happen? Both on the government side of things and on the, on the business community side of things. And so I think it's really more about how can we be helpful as a company? We've had the success. We continue to hopefully have success. We'll, we'll certainly work hard at it. We don't take it for granted. But how do we pull more companies into Houston so that we can build this ecosystem here and then therefore we'll be more successful? Maybe maybe there is more competition and, and competition's good though. I mean, that's the capitalistic system. That's what made Houston great. We don't we're not afraid of competition. We embrace competition. We think actually more competition ought to happen in the power industry, for instance, that has very little to no competition. We think competition works. We think competition is good. We want to be a part of addressing the uh, lack of an ecosystem here, pulling it in, having more com- uh, competitors, and we'll do better. And the community will, will absolutely uh, thrive. Awesome. And so what's uh, one thing that you're kind of looking forward to in this like uh, renewable you know, sector? I think it's great to, to look at what we do in terms of building up new, new companies here in the sector, creating thousands of jobs, creating a lot of, of wealth that can be used to fund pensions, that can be used to fund retirements and schools and, and, and so forth and charity. So we do a lot of uh, looking forward to doing a lot more that, that produces a higher quality of life for people. And then on that higher quality of life, I would say it's nice to do all those things and then change the world for the better. You know, lower emissions, doing something about climate change, you know, creating more innovation in, in an industry and changing things, I think is ultimately, you know, doing right by the world 
and doing right by the community and having those align. And those don't always align in every industry and it aligns here. So it makes me feel really good about, you know, going home and telling my kids about what, what dad does for a living. And uh, that's important to me. Thanks to Sonova's John Berger for joining us. And thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas.